The Pat Kenny Show on News Talk with Matter Private Network. During current restrictions, don't ignore your health concerns. Our expert team is ready to help. It's good morning to Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Luke, um, not a great day. No, I got very wet, Pat, walking up in the dark there. So I'm soaked sitting here, but it's very wet out there, yeah. Very wet out there and uh, so much for that outdoor summer were it to continue like this. Anyway, lots to talk about today. And of course, with the number of vaccines that have been injected into people's arms, we now know something about the side effects being caused by these uh, vaccines. We do, yeah, a big analysis that the people will know if they've been vaccinated they might feel a bit rough the next day, flu-like symptoms and so on. But uh, now we have real numbers. So 627,000 people were followed. And if you have one shot of Pfizer, you 13.5% will report feeling a bit rough the next day, you know, flu-like symptoms, muscle aches, which, which resolves after about a day, by the way. And then it's 22% after the second shot. So you can anticipate being slightly rougher, I guess. AstraZeneca is slightly higher. So it's 33% feel those kinds of symptoms after the first shot. And then 71% report a sore arms. That's, that's quite a common feature as well. But a fascinating one was, Pat, if, if you've been infected before and you have one shot of Pfizer, you have more symptoms the next day. So in other words, if you feel extra rough, say, after, after the Pfizer first shot, it probably means you've been infected. And it's almost like as if the, the infection is a bit like one shot of the vaccine, if you know what I mean. So that's interesting, mm-hmm. isn't it? So that kind of tells you something, I guess. But then as ever, the, the evidence is really good, but it always resolves, and, and the vast majority of people take a paracetamol helps, you know, and then within a the day, people are most people are back to normal. Yeah, and uh, they talk about systemic side effects as well, uh, as distinct from kind of local uh, soreness of the arm. Yeah, that, that means you might have a fever or you might have muscle aches around your body. Yeah, like the symptoms of, of the flu, basically. So systemic means it's more than one part of your body is aching. So, and, and that's what we're talking about, really. Not many get a fever, actually. That, that's unusual. But, but the, these percentages mean you do feel, you know, a little, a little bit off, I guess, a bit groggy is the way to think of it. Do they have any information on how much protection people have um, so many days after any of the vaccines? They do, yeah. So the, the, this is really good. But the first shot of any of them, within about five or six days, your immune system is now kicking off. And then by about day nine post-vaccination, it's begins to plateau. So in other words, you're now fully sort of, you know, on the go, as it were, in terms of your immune system. And that persists then for weeks and weeks. The, the second shot's job is mainly to make that last even longer, to cause a more durable response. And we protect you for months and months and months. So we know now the first jab actually is very protective indeed. And, and as we know, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is, is a one shot anyway. So they're all very similar in terms of protection after the, after the single shot. Now, it's interesting this morning from the UK, um, they're reporting that maybe the Indian variant is not 50% more uh, transmissible than the UK variant. It might be rather less than that. So the alarms that were raised at the beginning uh, may not be so alarming, I suppose. Yeah, yeah that's right. And, and the second thing to say about it is that the vaccine will probably work against the Indian variant. There's even more evidence for that, which is good. And, and you'd expect that, by the way, because even if a new variant comes along, you'll still have a good immune response to the old one that should give you some protection and it should certainly stop the disease progressing into severity and again the evidence yeah. is growing all the time that all the variants now because we, 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 what's happening is that there's so many people vaccinated in the world it's got to 1.7 billion right it's an amazing number isn't it and now they're looking at all those people where those variants are and they're seeing protection see so we're getting a bit more sort of confident that the vaccine should give protection against the variants yeah, so that, that that's true of all of them. Now, one person has just emailed me saying, I received AstraZeneca two weeks ago. On the HSE handout, it says I'd receive my second dose in 16 weeks. 
Um, is that too long? Now, it's interesting. I was talking to the minister the other day and he said actually uh, 12 weeks was going to be the norm, not 16, even though 16 is on is on the printed page. Yeah, it's a bit strange. that They said 16 weeks for people under 60, I think, wasn't that a fact? Because the, the, yeah. the, the clotting thing was an issue, so even though it's extremely rare. They said, let's, let's make it a bit longer. But it's a bit strange. you know. Mind you, having said that, 16 weeks is fine. And, and, and if anything, the longer you leave it, the better the second response is going to be slightly. You can't go too long, it looks like. But 16 weeks is perfectly acceptable as, as, a, as a gap, for instance. I think the concern would be that you've got one person in a household who'd have uh, Pfizer and uh, after four weeks they can get their green passport from the EU or whatever. And someone who's got uh, one dose of Johnson & Johnson would get their green passport. But someone who's waiting 16 weeks for AstraZeneca... Yeah. Might not get the green passport. They should change that for definite fact. That's unfair, isn't it? Because we know the first shot of AstraZeneca is very protective. So why they shouldn't yeah. be allowed to have a green or a travel pass, that, that should, they should definitely change that, I think. Now, uh, our next topic is the number of lives that have been saved in the UK by the vaccine. Yeah, it's a good good date on this because obviously the UK has been vaccinating for longer than other European countries. At least 12,000 lives have been saved because of their vaccination campaign. 33,000 less people ending up in hospital. Now, this was kind of predicted because, you know, they, they knew the risks of various age groups and so on. So it's not tremendous. So now they, they see the date in front of them. Oh, nearly 10,000 people over 80, their lives have been saved by this vaccine. Uh, mainly AstraZeneca, by the way, as well, remember. 1,500 people between the age of 70 and 79, their lives have been saved. And 300 people. 65 to 74. So the data is crystal clear that these vaccines save lives, any of them, remember. And as I say, that was 80% AstraZeneca was saving those people's lives. So it's a really good uh, good affirmation, I suppose, of what we, we kind of knew from the trials anyway, but it kind of confirms that. Yeah, and of course, in terms of the pressure on the NHS, hospital admissions way down as well, which, yeah. um, you know, helps those who are really in need of hospital care. That's right, yeah. And the second thing in the UK, by the way, people are asking me this, they're doing the first trials of mixing vaccines. So Pfizer first and AstraZeneca second, or vice versa. That's now underway. And again, it's safe if you mix them. That's the first thing. So that's good. You know, this has been done by the Oxford group, actually. And again, you get a really powerful immune response if you mix them. It's called heterologous dosing, by the way. So we're going to see more mixing of vaccines as well, which could help around the world because you wouldn't be waiting then for a particular vaccine to come in. You see, you can use another one as your booster. So there's more and more examples of mixing vaccines as well happening. Oh, OK, so uh, they did it before. I think you were telling me uh, in Ebola, they had a number of different vaccines and they mixed and matched and it worked fine. They did, they did. And, and there are other examples of this as well, even beyond Ebola. So it wouldn't be an unusual thing to do anyway, you know, to, to mix two different types of vaccines and see an even stronger response. So it wouldn't surprise me now if the EMA then says it's perfectly fine now to, to try one and then try a different one as a second shot. OK, now, um, Dracula's Castle. I've never been... But no. there might be a reason if I was visiting Romania to, to go for another reason. Well, this is an important topic, Papi. It'll come to Ireland. How are we going to incentivise people to be vaccinated? Now, the under-30s are the ones that may not turn up for a vaccine for whatever reason, you know. And governments all over the world, actually, are coming up with ways to make sure people turn up for their vaccines, basically. So Romania is great. So if you visit Bran Castle, which is where Vlad the Impaler was, and, and allegedly Bram Stoker modelled Dracula on, on Vlad the Impaler, you get a free vaccine. Isn't it great? And what it says is, it says, instead of having fangs 
stuck in your neck you get a needle in your arm <laughs> so, so you get a free <laughs> vaccine isn't that tremendous and then they're doing 24 hour round the clock vaccinations in Bucharest at the moment in different centres so they decided to go to the 24 hour model you know which we, we haven't quite in Ireland yet but but again it illustrates Pat how, how governments all over the world are realising let's get as many people vaccinated as quickly yeah. as possible and incentivise them and you've got to incentivise people especially if you're not at risk of disease or you might be distracted or whatever it might be you know how, how are we going to make sure we get certain cohorts vaccinated yeah. It's interesting that the Romanians seem to have identified that there are some people who just can't go to the bother or maybe they're not online or whatever of making that appointment and turning up with 24 hours, they can just fetch up as they wish yeah. and bang, jab in the arm. That's exactly right. Yeah, And in the US, it's amazing. In the US, there's a mass vaccination happening in the US. You get an SMS message on your phone, say, saying turn up in the next five hours and you will get a vaccine. That's how, how effective it is over there. You know, So, so in other words, lots of, lots of places are now trying to get as many vaccines out as, as quickly as possible. Now, you want to tell me about Ohio. Um, not alone could you be vaccinated, you could be rich. Yeah, that's, that's the great one. So Mike DeWine, who's the governor, he said, if you turn up for your vaccine, your name will go in the hat and you might win a million dollars. It's a lottery, right? So isn't that a great incentive? And he says, for five weeks back to back, every week, there's a million dollar prize. Isn't that incredible? And that, that's a great incentivizer, isn't it? And the second thing he's saying is, if you're of college age, 18 to 24-year-olds, you get your tuition paid for four years in, in Ohio State University and your board and lodging covered for four years. That's a lottery as well. So, so your name goes into the hat for that if you're in that age group. And of course, the, gov- the governor's mission Pat, is to get as many of that age group uh, vaccinated as, as quickly as possible, you see. So, so it's well worth turning up, isn't it? Because you might, you might win a million dollars. Yeah. Now, he was one of the early heroes of um, the, the whole fight against COVID in the United States, uh, locking down when appropriate. Um, he's kind of reversed a lot of that, but um, political pressure is probably uh, at the heart of it. Yeah, there's a big, there was a pressure in Ohio to open up everything. And they were saying, give us our freedom back, that kind of thing, you know, and he was resisting that and getting into trouble for it politically. And, and his health advisor had to resign because she was being, you know, all kinds of uh, online attacks and everything. She got fed up, you know, because they were quite stringent. In, in Ohio and then he was being criticised and now he's trying I guess he's getting, trying to curry favour again by doing these things you know and, and the second thing I read Pat was and get this in, in, in Ohio if you go to Dunkin' Donuts and show you have been vaccinated you get a free donut right so in other words <laughs> okay. there's various pl- and, and, and Walmart or do, all, all the pharmacies in the US by the way there's a vaccination centre you see so they all know this is the way out and, and especially states like Ohio they reckon let's, let's just get as many people vaccinated and reopen as quickly as we can is, is their idea there yeah, and yet there are still cohorts who are uh, resisting it for some, first of all, scepticism, people who are vaccine deniers, uh, and then there's kind of a machismo. I can take this. My yes. immune system is fine. Thank you very much. Anyway, um, yeah. what about um, vaccines and long COVID? We've talked about that on the program before, uh, but there, um, there's a bit of science now attached. There is, and it's a serious topic, as we know, people get this long COVID. And, and by the way, this is ME Awareness Week. I was emailed yesterday to mention that. It's ME, chronic fatigue syndrome, long COVID, all quite similar. It's, it's after a virus, you, you have symptoms that persist for months and months, and it's very debilitating for people. And it's common in long COVID and, and a, now we have our first data Pat, that, but there was anecdotal evidence that if you'd long COVID and you were vaccinated the symptoms would be relieved but it was anecdotal but now a study of over 800 people uh, 56% report having symptoms being eased by being vaccinated so there's the first 
I suppose a bit of science, I suppose, that there may be something in this where, where vaccination gives relief to long COVID. Now, now, 18% got worse, mind you, so it's not a guarantee, you know. But still, if that holds up, Pat, and, and, and 50% of people, you're getting a relief of long COVID symptoms, that'd be tremendous, wouldn't it? And now they're going to do a bigger study. 800 is, is okay as a number, but you'd like to see more numbers to see if it's, if it's going to hold up or not. But but what's happening is, Pat, by the way, they think uh, the, the vaccine is resetting your immune system. And now your immune system goes back to being normal again, and then the symptoms begin to resolve, you know. So let, let's just keep an eye on that one. It'll be tremendous because then that might apply then to other types of, of post-viral fatigue. You see, you could use vaccines for other things or, or other immune stimulants might help long COVID, those kind of symptoms in different diseases. So that, that's a really good development. Now, uh, people are hypothesizing why some people get long COVID and others do not. Um, what is the latest hypothesis? It's very hard to pin it down. Yeah, there's, there's two options. One is there's still remnants of virus lurking in your body and that's keeping your immune system active and the symptoms you're getting actually are coming off the immune system by the way these feelings of fatigue and muscle ache and brain fog are probably the immune system you see so there could be remnants of the virus there and then the vaccine helps clear that out you know the vaccine obviously activates the immune system to clear those remnants that's one option and then the second idea is it's just this reset of the immune system so you, you, in other words your, your immune system's fought the battle against the virus the virus goes away but now the immune system is still a bit active you know and then it's kind of burning away in the background. They're the two theories at the moment. And again, they're being looked at closely. So they're measuring viral remnants in people who've got long COVID just to see if they can detect it there, for example. And then they're measuring markers of the immune system to see if they're changing, you see. So we should get a lot more data on that in, in the coming months. Now, the, the the question of how many people get long COVID, um, you know, our nearest neighbour is bigger than us and uh, perhaps the NHS is collating uh, data do we have any suggestion as to how many people in the UK yeah. uh, have got long COVID? As many as a million are reporting it, which is a, a significant number. There, there's 14 symptoms that are listed, you see, different types of symptomology. And then there's an app actually they're using in the UK for people to report it, you know. So they reckon about a million have long COVID. Now we're talking three, six, nine months post-infection, still having some kind of symptoms, you see. And some are physical symptoms that they can actually detect, like a bit of heart problems or whatever it might be, you know. Others are things like brain fog or fatigue and so on. So it's not insubstantial. Uh, best guess at the moment is around 10% may, may have persistent symptoms as, and then it'll differ based on age. The commonest group are women in over 50 actually. They're, they're more likely to report it than other groups you see. And then the big question is, what's, is that to do with hormonal differences or whatever? So, so again, it's a really important area that lots of research is happening. Um, now, uh, some of the, the questions and comments coming in. I'm 57, still waiting for my first vaccination, um, and they're now looking for the 40s to register. Well, we can't help with that, um, but you've got to get in touch with the, yep. the powers that be because um, they've obviously missed you they've in some way. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, please thank Luke for my friend who was suffering from long COVID in her 40s, pushed her GP to get her vaccine for her symptoms, which she's had uh, for a year. And she's getting it on Saturday. Great. So yeah. uh, she believes that uh, the vaccine is going to help her. Uh, now, some more stuff coming in. Can you ask Luke about a booster shot? The UK are talking about a booster shot for everyone, a third jab. That's from Richie. Yeah, yeah. They're planning that in a way and say, look, look, should we start doing that because of these variants, really, you see. And there was a tremendous study, Pat, done with AstraZeneca, where they gave a third shot of AstraZeneca, right? And, and they got a massive response. The antibody levels went through the roof. And 
and Oxford are now claiming actually that this will be capable against any variant. So if you have a third shot of AstraZeneca, the old virus, you know, that third shot really mobilises the antibody response. And even though those antibodies mightn't bind as well to the new variant, there's so many of them, they swamp it, you know. So again, they're thinking we should now begin to implement the third shot, basically, either of the old vaccine or indeed a booster, that's the variant, you know. And you may have seen yesterday, Pat, Pfizer in Ireland are going to start making the vaccine. Did you see that? Which is fantastic news, by the way. I mean, that's tremendous. So we're the third place in the world now. It's an honour that Ireland have been asked, actually. That's probably going to be variants, they think. In other words, they start making the variant shots in in Grange Castle and then they'll begin implementing the booster programme. And it'll just be vulnerable people, remember. You won't need to vaccinate everybody with the boosters. It'll be like the older people and the ones with underlying diseases. So it wouldn't surprise me if in the autumn we begin to see a a booster campaign starting. And, And the UK are saying they're probably going to do that. Uh, Siobhan says I had AstraZeneca one shot I was tired and sleeping for 24 hours since then I've noticed low mood and anxiety is it anything to be concerned about? No, I don't think so. I mean, AstraZeneca is a rougher vaccine from that first shot for definite, like one in three report sort of those kinds of symptoms. And then they usually resolve. If they don't resolve, it's probably worth talking to your GP just to get it checked out. But some, some it might persist for a few days. It's the usual range of, of responses. Some it's all gone within a day. Some might take three, four or five days. But certainly if it goes on a bit, you'd, you'd be wise to just to chat to your GP. Now, we talked about uh, Herogolus, um, the mixing of vaccines. This one, uh, I have had one dose of AstraZeneca, but I'm now pregnant. Would prefer Pfizer in pregnancy. Can I take Pfizer as my second dose? The question is, does it matter? Which There's no reason. Not so. I mean, from an immunological point of view, it's OK to mix them. That's the first thing to say, you see. So, um, yeah, you could ask for that, I guess. The trouble is, we don't. nobody has a choice that still, so they don't. You've got to take whatever one you're, you're being offered. But there wouldn't be any reason. It, it, it's a big issue for people in, in um, the Middle East. Have you heard this one? They've all had the Sinopharm vaccine. And that's not being recognised in Europe. And now they're wondering, should they take Pfizer next kind of thing? And again, there's no reason not to, you know. Um, will I have shorter-lived protection with Johnson & Johnson as a one-shotter? We we don't know in truth. I mean, it, the Johnson & Johnson, yeah, the one-shot works very well, like the, like the other one-shots do. And then it is persisting for months. They're measuring, you know, the response months out. So it does seem as if one shot might suffice. But it wouldn't surprise me they'll recommend boosters with Johnson & Johnson as well, you see. They were lucky to just to do a one-shot trial in a way and, and kind of get away with it, if you like, you know. So it's a strange one. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Johnson & Johnson began to recommend a booster, say, several months later kind of thing. So that that might happen. A question for Luke. If someone who is not vaccinated is in a room with someone who's fully vaccinated, as allowed per the HSE new guidelines, is there still a risk of catching COVID for the person who's not vaccinated from the person who is vaccinated? There's a small risk of that, yeah. I mean, we know people who are vaccinated, the virus is less able to grow on them, so that's good. In other words, it may not be in your nose if you're vaccinated, but but there's a slow level of that. That's why if you're not vaccinated, don't be in a vulnerable group, you see. That's the advice there. So, so it's allowable for a vaccinated person to meet someone who isn't vaccinated if the unvaccinated person isn't in a vulnerable group or in the older category. That's the advice, you know, just in case that happens. But it's a low risk. It really is a low risk that that person would be at risk of infection. A friend of mine in the UK was vaccinated with one dose of AstraZeneca in March. The NHS tested her for antibodies last week as part of a trial. She had none. She's in her 40s and otherwise healthy. Does it mean she has zero protection? How common would it be that you don't generate any antibodies? No, that's not a worry at all. What happens is the B cells in your body, that's the cell type that makes the antibodies and they make all the antibodies and then they eventually they stop making it but they're still there. You've, you've trained them, you see. And then when you're reinfected, those B cells mobilise quickly and make loads of antibodies again. 
again. Do you know what I mean? So, so in other words, you're not. We, we we couldn't have a situation where your blood is churning with loads of antibodies from every infection you've ever had. That'd be very inefficient. So it's more about training the troops, and then the troops are there. So if they'd measured B cells in that person, they would have found them. You know, it's B cells making antibodies, and they make the antibodies when you get reinfected as your defence. Uh, I texted in last Thursday. I was feeling awful after two days uh, following the AstraZeneca. Feeling great now, back as fit as ever. It might help others who are, uh, you know, feeling a bit rough after the AstraZeneca. Uh, Janet says, I'm now feeling very confident about the future. Uh, One more. Peter says, I always had a COVID test before going out to visit my parents, which I do every few weeks. They've now been fully vaccinated two weeks ago, and I'm planning to see them this weekend. I've not been near anyone else recently since I last saw them, but wondering, should I still go for a test anyway? That's from Peter. Now, going for a test, you know, if he's going for a PCR, I mean, that doesn't, as we we talked to Professor Michael Mina yesterday from Harvard, who did kind of... Um, antigen testing for slow learners yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said if if he was going to visit a vulnerable person um, he would do his test his antigen test 20 minutes before the off he said it's far better than having a PCR test three days before Absolutely but if, 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 that extra bit of confidence if, if you are visiting someone who you feel is vulnerable and you're slightly anxious do an antigen test and, that, and if you're positive stay home That that's the instruction it's very yeah. simple isn't it way, you know? uh, so that's the way to think of it those antigen tests as we've said several times but they are a way to really de-risk us you see from spreading the infection mm. uh, Finally yeah, there's a, an email here about um, dining indoors and you know the pressure to allow dining indoors the Thonish are talking about doing that in July but you and I have uh, talked about ventilation they'd want to really get the ventilation rules and regs right yep. before they allow indoor dining again Absolutely, about 100%. And, and all over the world are saying that now. We must look at ventilation as we move back towards winter time, you know, to make sure places have, have appropriate ventilation. So that's a really fantastic mitigator. And again, it's interesting, but you don't want to be sitting in a draft either, do you? you know, so, so they're trying to make sure the ventilation is comfortable and allows air exchange. So that's a really important point. Yeah, and the final one is about the mixed messaging. You know, they're saying to 40 to 49-year-olds, you can have J&J or AstraZeneca, you know, register now, you'll have it. Um, But if you want to wait for Pfizer, you can wait. Yeah. That's crazy messaging. It is. It's very strange, isn't it? Yeah, I know. And I keep getting asked, but which would I take if I had a choice, you know? Uh, and Johnson & Johnson's very convenient. Single shot will give you protection, you know? So that's one to think about. But uh, but it's a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, we're still, we're still waiting for the official guidelines, aren't we, on that? But it does sound a bit peculiar. Mm-hmm. All right, Luke, for the moment, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Mm-hmm.